Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Yes, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anyone else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. Following on from last week, Paul lists all the things he can think of that we may use as an excuse to separate us from the love of God. But you see, we belong to God. We were created because he wanted us here. We didn't create ourselves. How would you like to have a hope-filled heart? To see the world through Jesus' eyes. To see yourself through Jesus' eyes. We are his idea. We are his face, his eyes, his hands, his touch. If we look deeply into the face of every human being on earth, we will see his likeness. And because we are unalterably his... He loves us undyingly. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not our problems or our sufferings or our worries or our dashed dreams. Because in all these things we will have full victory through God who showed his love for us. We all have our share of troubles in life and when we work through them with the Lord and with each other we grow stronger. We grow closer to God. We fulfill our potential to God's glory. The times may seem awful, painful and difficult, but when we come out the other side, we find we have a resilience, a power, a deeper love. Pray to be able to view the world through Jesus' eyes. Hello. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. And sometimes it can make us wonder what on earth we're doing. For the next few weeks, I'll be talking to mums who have walked through the fire of a compromised income, illness, disappointments of one kind or another, and I hope that we will all find encouragement and strength from what these women have to say, and by their presence discover that we're not alone, and that in the end, somehow, we'll be strengthened and heartened from unexpected places. For me, homeschooling meant that I saw the light bulbs go on, and there was the There were the turning points in my children's lives that I experienced, good and interesting, and I was allowed to make my own decisions about how to raise our children. With God and my rugrats, I've moved in and out of my comfort zone, gained insights and delights, and I'm here to share them with you. I'm broadcasting from Richardson, Texas at my friend's house, and after the first break, I'm thrilled to be welcoming back Laura Grace Weldon after almost three years to talk to us about homeschooling through family difficulties and how natural learning benefits us all. Stay tuned. She'll be with me after the first break and I'm all set. So grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies where I'm considering family stories. Are you ready? There aren't very many of the older generation left in my family. When my mother died and my brother and I looked at each other, hugged and said, we're orphans, I realized I was now the matriarch of the family. No more Christmases with mum presiding as the head lady. Not that she ever did, but that's another story. But you get my drift, I'm sure. My brother isn't the patriarch either, because my dad had a younger brother who's still alive and turned 80 a couple of weeks ago. I've been quizzing him, my uncle, With questions about the family in between us, we've shared some stories we didn't know before. When I was young, and my uncle laments this too of his own childhood, I failed to ask pertinent questions of my parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. I must have been so wrapped up in my own life that I just didn't think to ask about other people's. And I have a couple of short stories to tell from my own memory about my paternal grandfather. 
Grandad's full name was Joseph Valentine Bagley, and as I reached my teens, his middle name struck a chord. At an all-girls boarding school, Valentine's Day held much promise and smacked of crushes, love, and romance. I'd pour all I had into sappy verses, homemade cards, and love notes to older girls and teachers I admired, and later to boys I'd spied and maybe said hello to at the school where we went for choir practice once a week. But on contemplating my grandfather's unusual middle name, I could do nothing but giggle and wouldn't dare tell even my closest friend about what I considered to be a ridiculously embarrassing middle name to be saddled with. To me, it was like having Christmas or Easter as a middle name. Valentine was the title of a special lovey-dovey day, not a fitting name for old Grandpa. He was always Grandad Joe to me, and we left it at that. And on that note to my continuing series about homeschooling in the face of adversity. How do homeschoolers handle real life when it hits their families, be it marital struggles, pagan children, our children finding themselves also known to us as rebellion, health and unexpected additions to the family. In other words, when things are just not going right in the homeschool. My guests and I will be exploring questions like, did you think homeschooling would be the answer to raising your children? Did you think they'd be sheltered from the secular the world and grow into young adults who are not tempted by their peers? And if, if not, how did we cope or how do we cope? Hopefully we'll get some advice and encouragement from the mothers I've invited to join me over the next few weeks. So tune in to the series or take part by emailing me at my website, The Sociable Homeschooler, with questions and concerns of your own. It's break time now, so go and replenish your drink and I'll be back in just a moment with my returning guest, Laura Grace Weldon. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski, a live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm delighted to have Laura Grace Weldon returning to my show this week after more than two years. Laura is a writer, book editor, non-violence educator, and marginally useful farm wench. Her words. Laura and her husband have four children, all of whom are out of her lap and into the world. They live together on Bit of Earth Farm, where they raise cows, chickens, bees, produce, and the occasional ruckus. Her book, Free Range Learning, How Homeschooling Changes everything is an idea-packed handbook presenting eye-opening data about the meaning and importance of natural learning that includes the insights of 110 homeschooling families from around the world. Laura is also a relentless optimist and today we're going to be talking about what we do when calamity hits the homeschool and our visions of how raising our children exclusively at home goes out the window. Laura, welcome to my show this afternoon. Thank you for having me back. I don't believe it's been two years. <laughs> I don't either. More than two years, actually, because um, I was looking back and I thought, gosh, why haven't Laura and I got together again? <laughs> and um, 
you know, I've had so many guests going on and it's been so, so busy that I made myself take time to go back through my guests and pull some of them back to um, re-talk to them. And I have this new theme that I'm going to be working on for a few weeks about homeschooling through family difficulties and how um, some of us deal with it in different ways and hopefully give some encouragement to people out there who, families out there who may think, well, if this happens or if that happens, then my children just have to go back into the school system and I may just have to go out and get myself another job. So we're going to be talking about how um, some of us got through that and maybe encourage other families to get through it too. So, Laura, um, has there ever been a time when you have thought, I can't homeschool anymore? Not necessarily emotionally, although emotionally you may have, but because of other difficulties that have confronted you. We have been encouraged so many times to put the kids back in school and and friends and relatives would say, oh, but this is such an awful time you're going through. And we have certainly had a series of awful times that life presents us with. Mm -hmm. But I've always felt that um, having the kids continue in their regular homeschooling things and being around us is a great deal less stressful mm -hmm. than it is to take on the, the new obligations and the rushed schedules of school. Mm. Mm. So um, as a family, then, you are very committed to homeschooling, or do you do it year to year? We... Uh, we launched into it kind of uh, by accident, but we have remained very committed to it since then. And and um, it, it certainly isn't a failure to send kids back to school. Everyone should realize they've got every possible option. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it is it is stressful in its own way, and particularly when you're going through hard times. I think a number one priority is to keep things as uh, same as possible for your kids mm -hmm. to which isn't always possible, of course. You you may make a homemade meal every night and you may instead be bringing back home a, a bag of takeout. But if you're still eating together and you're mm -hmm. still keeping to that ritual, that is so reassuring for kids. Yes, and I think for you too. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you can hang on to that, um, that foundation, that little bit of normalcy in, you know, in the midst of everything falling apart around you to try and keep that together. But homeschool changes during those times, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, any of us would make ourselves just that much more crazy when we've got some crisis going on to feel like we have to plow through the same things that we might do in the in the best of times. We don't have to practice spelling words or get those kids to lessons or because the kids understand too that something's different and if we in kind of include them in well grandpa's really sick or you know whatever's happening they're pitching in too mm -hmm. it, so how old are your children now the the youngest has just gone off to college so we are we are, they are officially out of my lap and into the world really yes really so how does that feel um, it feels strangely liberating and, and kind of quietly bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. It's tough <laughs> <laughs> going through the emptiness. But, you know, I have discovered that my children feel it every bit as badly as I do, or they feel it every bit as intensely, let's put it that way, as I do. Have you found that? I I. I think it's hard for, you know, young adults to actually say that sort of thing. But because we've been together so much and we've spent a lot of the time together that we wouldn't normally do while kids are off in high school or something, mm -hmm. we have, um, and, I, and I'm sure it's not just our family, we have, they're eager to spend time together. They want to sit around after dinner and they want to hang out in the front porch and chat with each other. It's not dashing off situation and that's, I think that's how they're saying what you're, what you're expressing. Yes. Yeah. Well, the number of times they call <laughs> <laughs> and each child is a little bit different, but oh, they yeah. do, they do, um, they like us to be at least on in the same time zone, which we haven't been for the last few years because different things have taken us in different directions. And there's, you can almost hear this sigh of relief when we're back in the same time zone, <laughs> even if they don't call us anyway. So, I mean, that's, that's just the way things go. All right, so 
while you were homeschooling through through difficult times, um, as we talked, your your homeschooling may change a little bit. Can you give me an example of um, how a day or a week might look while you're going through a difficult time? Um, we have we've had a number of difficult times to pick from. We had some on and off unemployment problems, and all three of my kids' grandparents had a pretty miserable slow slide into the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that was happening, let's let's talk about that a little bit. When that was happening, were you close to them? Were they living with you, or were you a long way away? We were, uh, my mother-in-law lived with us for 10 years, and we were uh, geographically less than an hour from my parents. So we uh, spent a lot more time um, doing what we needed to do for them. And that included all of those kinds of phone calls you have to make to physical therapists and doctors and Mm all those things which are which are an, on every level upsetting to you and right down to your bone marrow and um i think i think that i noticed my kids because they were uh they were not tiny kids at the time were a great deal more solicitous of their parents feelings than you might normally notice and i dearly appreciated that mm-hmm. and they also didn't have that kind of um expectation that everything was going to go their way and uh, that was a relief because things went much less their way when we were preoccupied. Mm, mm. And and that can that also can be difficult on on all fronts because all, you all are affected by that, and and the children can be fine with that for a while. There are times when you have to make that choice of okay, well maybe I'm going to have to let that responsibility over there go so that I can do this over here for my child so that my child isn't being disappointed one more time. Right. And the and the kids are and the kids are upset too, although they don't always show it. Kids have so many different ways of exhibiting mm-hmm. their their stress. And what I use to reassure myself is that um kids who are 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 separated from any kind of stressor or crisis when they're little and their parents always try to make things perfect for them. They're not surely developing the kind of resiliency that comes from weathering various problems and coming out the other side. Mm. So I I think that we probably couldn't find any kind of uh, man or woman who's really contributed in some important way to our, our society ever had any kind of perfect childhood. I I think that kind of going through things is um, very character building and necessary. Yes, called resiliency. Yes. Absolutely. And I agree with you there. Um, I think some families tend to keep some of their problems to themselves and don't share it with their children because they don't want to burden their children. They think they're too young or they want to shelter them. And it really does not give them an idea of what real life is and they get surprised and maybe perhaps shocked and unable to cope when they get older and get faced with problems. Absolutely. I think uh, we we shelter kids from um, making their own decisions and taking risks and talking about uh, just sitting around the dinner table, really talking about what's going on is is pivotal because even if you're you think you're hiding whatever your problem is, even the even the tiniest children uh, sense that and often blame themselves mm-hmm. um, because they don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. I think there's some interesting studies that show that even toddlers, when parents are having marriage problems or there's some other, you know, thing going on, think that they're keeping everything normal. But they, when they look at the little kids' blood pressure and cortisol levels, they're experiencing that stress, mm-hmm. even though it's not overtly talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we know you and I both know that. We can walk into situations, we can walk into even buildings and we sense, we don't know what it is that we're sensing, but we can sense an atmosphere. Oh, you're so right. Yeah, yeah. And our children um, obviously can do that too. Well, and we can sense, I know when there's something wrong with my husband or when there's something wrong with one (laughs) of my children. I say, are you all right? And, you know, they'll fob me off and I'll say, "Mm mm-hmm myself yeah I know I know there's something else going on and eventually I'll find out you know so well now that's a a really good point you brought up because certainly at many times in our lives with spouses or children to say overtly 
what's going on? Or you, you don't seem happy. When you directly ask those things, you, you get some stony silence or denial. But if you have been through troubles together and you almost have a, um, a second language of relating to each other. So, you know, uh, a hand on the neck of a, of a kid who's, you know, sitting, sitting down, just a reassuring hand or, you know, an extra hug or you make hot cocoa. Those are those kinds of and millions of more things that you develop are are a little shorthand to say I, I, I see you're struggling here and I care about you mm-hmm. and and it kind of lets them know that you're willing to to talk when they're ready. And, and do you find that boys are harder to draw out than girls? Not not in my family. My three boys are the more gentle, amiable ones. <laughs> but I I did notice, especially as kids get older. But this is true when they're little too, that it's those, um, it's those times of unexpected peace. Say you're driving them and they're sitting in the back seat, or you're, uh, I don't know, drying dishes together, or you're sitting by the side of their bed before they go to sleep at night, just to just to give them a little smooch and say a prayer together. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of times when often you don't even expect it. They, you get into wonderful conversations or you hear something, uh, some self-disclosure that you hadn't thought that they would confide in you. And mm-hmm. those are the times, boy, in, in crisis, those are the kinds of things we have to remember to keep doing with our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me about um, when your parents got ill and you well and and they lived you said about an hour away tell me how that changed your family dynamic or your family schedule or whatever it changed um my kids my mom tried very hard to stay at home and uh, my kids had always done little jobs over there to help her out and they took on some very grown-up sized jobs mm-hmm. of their own volition no I can do this Grammy let me let me do this and uh, they went over you know I schlepped them over but we would spend hours and hours because you can't sit by somebody's bedside and pat their hand all the time especially when you're a kid mm-hmm. uh, but they felt so good about contributing by doing yard work or uh, you know, fixing a faucet, some some little thing. Even you know, even a nine or ten year old can make a huge difference with what they're able to do. And I know many other people have would prefer their kids don't work to show that kind of love. But it for my kids, be, knowing that she couldn't do that sort of thing anymore, they were helping keep her in that house, even if they weren't, you know, providing that sitting and patting her hand mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when you can't get out of bed and do something, you see things that need doing. And I know it stresses me out like crazy if, for example, my bathroom's not been cleaned or my kitchen's <laughs> got dishes in, in the sink. And that that helps a lot. And that is work. That is hands-on work that somebody can come over and do for me and make me feel so much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, oh, that that's wonderful. That's a wonderful gift that your children gave your mother through that and being able to do that too. Because my parents were so far away, my, my children couldn't do that. They couldn't even, well, they tried talking on the phone, but that wasn't, that really wasn't a great um, way of communicating either. So we had it very difficult. Well, one thing my uh, my oldest did, which I didn't think was for me at the time, but he brought home a rescue puppy, a very mm-hmm. small little puppy. Mm-hmm. We've always been big dog people, and that seemed like one last thing I didn't need to deal with was his dog during the day. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that that taking that little puppy for walks every day when I was so uh, sad and and tired uh, got me out of the house and. As, as puppies and tiny babies do, they're so full of joy and exuberance mm-hmm. that it felt so healing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I credit him with, with doing that, even if that wasn't his intention. Mm. And being able to say that to your children. Yeah. Do you realize how much that helped me? You know, that's, that's lovely. Now, you talk about telling stories in your family, family stories to keep family members alive or to keep them um well, part of your your family, if they can't be there with you, tell us something about that tradition that you have. Well, when I was growing up, my mother was the pretty much the last of her line, and she told us stories about uh, 
her her brother who was gone and her great grandparents and all sorts of immigrant relatives from Sweden and we um I felt I understood these people although I'd never met them and she made these stories uh, they were often funny or showed some kind of powerful character trait but she never told them in a way that made us feel um that she was sad which I think really helped and um it gave me a sense of who I was in my DNA to have these strong, quirky, uh, interesting people as my lineage. And so now that my parents are gone, well, we've, I guess we've always, um, in my family, with my kids, probably emphasize more the funny stories mm-hmm, <laughs> about, mm-hmm. about older relatives. And um, I see that we're still using... Uh, ridiculous phrases that have become kind of family tradition that my parents used to say and my mother-in-law used to say. So that's one way to keep that sort of thing alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you said not not sad while they were telling you these stories. So they weren't painful story. Well, it didn't give them pain to relive um, some of the memories that they'd had growing up. <laughs> You know, it's it's um it's a tenuous line to walk because kids know if you're going to bring up, uh, like my mother really missed her brother, mm-hmm. and and if she had brought him up, um, to your, I think we would have avoided wanting to hear about that if she'd always been absolutely miserable. But she she had a way of bringing it up that was just relevant to the moment. What your what your uncle John would have done here, or what he would have thought of, or. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, she just kind of wrapped him into our lives, even though we had never met. Mm, mm, marvelous. And, and I, I, um, I certainly spent time talking to my kids when I, we were all grieving, but we always pulled ourselves out with, with, you know, all of our relatives have strange stories. I'm sure yours do too. And it was those kinds of things that really highlight how uh, different a person is that make a difference. And I've already heard from my kids what they're going to talk about when I'm gone. <laughs> Not the most flattering stuff, but... <laughs> well, you know, I'm finding out some things about my parents and their parents now that shed light on a lot of things about myself and about my children. And you said the same thing, the little you know, the little quirky stories, and you, you know you might recognize yourself in some of them. It's it's almost like a flash of recognition to, and I don't make those connections too quickly. But my daughter uh, loved and taught herself Latin, and I found out that I have a great great uncle who was a Latin professor, and she loves mysteries the way my mom always did, and hates to wear socks the way my dad did. And it's just all these you see all these little things that are that are carried on, and it's fascinating. It is, and it's what makes it more fascinating is if they never lived with those relatives, didn't right. really have a lot of contact with those relatives or might not even have known them. And these little quirks that aren't necessarily genetic like blue eyes or the curly hair or um, something like that, but just habits or quirks of personality. It's really reassuring to think that there are some... Um you know, in the in this ephemeral world, that there are some really solid traits that seem to to move along through the generations. And my, it seems like on both sides of my family, the, no matter how far you trace it back, there are clergy and academics and teachers and scientists. Mm-hmm. And I, I watch that roll through the generations, and it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, Laura, we have to go on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll um, continue with this conversation. So we'll be back in just a few moments. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. 
Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Uh, Laura, tell us about your farm. I know when we last spoke, um, you talked about it, and I think your children were a little bit younger, obviously, and um, it's not very big. Tell me, tell me how big your farm is, and I listed the the animals that you have on there. <laughs> so tell me, you know, sort of give me an update. Um, well, it's very small. It's just a little under ten acres, and um, it's it's rather in a, a shambles much of the time, and uh, it's it's still wonderfully productive, and it's a great place to live. But it is certainly hard to um, make any kind of profit. Okay, and but it sustains you to a degree. Uh, no, we 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 do need to work too. Um, I I think small farms in in this country are are pretty hard to make any kind of uh, money off of. So I I think particularly the beekeeping has lost us all sorts of money oh, the really? last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So what's expensive about keeping bees? Um, we have, uh, there's a colony collapse disorder going on uh, here and around the world. And to reestablish beehives, it's uh, several hundred dollars to to purchase a queen and her attendants. Mm-hmm. So we, we try as much as possible to capture swarms, which are, are na- more native bees and, and healthier often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Can't you just go out and find one? <laughs> um, not not like your your prize horses or your prize cows. Right. I hadn't thought about that because when we were in Florida, we ate the honey that was um, well made by the local bees because that's you know you're supposed to do that. So we did, and we would see they they would the little honey shop had a place where bees could go in and. Um, into the hive inside so you could actually see them at work inside the shop and outside they weren't always there depending on where they were but they would travel around and take them to different places to pollinate do you do that with yours no i think that's actually kind of a stressor for bees um maybe not taking them locally but like i think it's three quarters of the bees in the united states are necessary to pollinate the almond orchards in California. So bees are schlepped in trucks during the you know the peak of the summer, all the way there and back, and that's that's a, a huge ordeal. Oh yes, I think these they, they did a sixty mile radius is where they took their bees. That just yeah yeah what, much smarter. Yeah yeah yeah. All right, and um, what else? You've got um, cows or a yes. cow. Yeah, we have several cows, and we have about 60 chickens, and um, this time of year, not much left of the garden. That's We've been we've been canning, we've probably canned about 50 pounds of tomatoes today, so we're almost to the end of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the farm um, feeds you, does it meet your food requirements? I, that is certainly a goal, is to try to be as sustainable as we can, um, more self-reliant, but... Um, I think we would all be horrible pioneers in this family because we try, but <laughs> you still need to buy some things. Yeah, so how did they do that? I I think a lot of them starved. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. You know, um, I was talking to somebody who grew up on like a fourth, fourth generational farm and she and her three sisters, she had four sisters, she said one of us should have been a boy to take over the farm. And I said, well, a girl could take over the farm. But anyway, she was a doctor and she had her own garden and homeschooled her children and her mother would come and stay with her and she'd look at her garden and say, oh, that looks like an awful lot of work to me. 
Uh, she doesn't do it anymore. The farmer, her mum, doesn't do that anymore because it's a lot of hard work. You know, it is, but it's also so restorative to just, um, you know, otherwise you can get so caught up in just doing things that don't have any longer term value. But boy, you know, it makes you go outside and, and get down in there in the dirt. And there are actually uh, soil bacterium they've found in the dirt that are related to uh, people's good moods. Really? So if you're too far from the dirt, yes, mm. it's going to be harder to be cheerful. Wow, wow. So your children, when they were at home, uh, did they help out on the farm? Well, we still have we still have two home, the college the college kid and his sister, mm-hmm. and uh, they have all helped on the farm. And the two who have their own places now come back and help because they know we can't do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, we certainly do fun things together too. But I think there's there's something very bonding about uh, cutting and stacking firewood or or solving some kind of problem that seems intractable together. And I think in the next couple of weeks, they're going to come help rebuild part of one of our barns that's not in the best shape. And that's that's like a whole day of time together and laughter and some good food. And it's, I, I look forward to that. Well, good. Good. And your house, is your home a, a typical um, farmhouse? Is it large and sprawling? Or? It is large and sprawling, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of room, so there'll be room for grandbabies and oh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, good, good. So let's talk a little bit about um, unemployment. I know it's affected a lot of families um, in the country, and I don't think it affects anybody as badly as homeschoolers because a lot of time that's the only income is the income that they have from their from their spouse. So let's talk about that a little bit. We we are still dealing with a long term unemployment problem, and um, I know so many people feel like they cannot homeschool when when their income is compromised, and that's certainly the case on the on the face of it. But often, you know, we humans are very creative, and I have watched so many families come up with from home businesses and um, all sorts of part-time things that that work around their schedules and their and homeschooling actually frees them to do that so they perhaps make uh, we have a friend who's a potter and they go on the road to sell at different festivals and there's there's no need to work around the school schedule they can all go and the kids learn a great deal from that mm, yeah I I know that homeschooling is extremely flexible, but I hadn't really thought of it like that, that it really is. You don't have to. You're not tied to the PTA meetings or, you know, school schedules of some sort. You can just pick up and go wherever your business is taking you. There was a a person I interviewed for my book, and she worked as a copy editor, which I can tell you is is not the best paid thing. Mm -hmm. And that benefited her her young son enormously. She had, uh, you know, many hours she sat clacking at the computer, and he spent time, he was very little at the time, he spent time with both sets of grandparents, and his grandfather worked at a truck dispatch place. Mm -hmm. And so the little boy would... Uh, you know, go do some of his work in the office, and then he would hang out with the mechanics, and he would hang out with uh, the truckers and the lady who was, you know, doing the calls. And everybody had so much for him to learn from, and they, um, they, they really enriched his life in a way that it wouldn't have been if he were home with his mom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, there are a lot of homeschoolers out there who are single parent homeschoolers so you're right they are very creative if homeschooling is something that they are passionate about they can make it work right and it's it's a struggle but when you get through those struggles mm -hmm. and yeah you're teaching your kids that too you're giving them that kind of resilient example right so as a wife of a husband who um, has faced or is facing unemployment how how do you encourage your husband how do you because that that's that's always a blow isn't it to their ego mm-hmm. yeah so so tell me how you encourage your husband well 
I don't know if it's my place to be, uh, Susie, cheerful all the time, but I am very positive about uh, little side things he's doing. He's got he's making um, yard sculpture, these big, huge, um, mostly bells out of repurposed mm-hmm. materials. He's welding and, and using wood, and, and they're beautiful, and, they, and they, he's got them at a few galleries, which doesn't mean anyone has bought much of them yet. Yeah. But I... Um, I do have a I do have a story about his uh, unemployment um, years back at Christmas time. Okay, if you're interested, yes, please. Well, it was um, we were having a hard time. He was unemployed because he'd been in a car accident and his neck had been broken, so he wasn't cleared to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I was making as many Christmas presents as I could and trying to do the the same cookies and the same decorations and everything. But I was pretty overwrought, and I realized um, the morning of Christmas Eve that I had nothing for the kids' stockings. Mm. And I, I, just, I just lost it. And uh, my daughter caught me uh, being upset, which I tried not to do in front of the kids. And um, I I told her that was why I was upset, and she said very sweetly, it, "We're a family. It doesn't matter if you like lean over and poop in my stocking. Mm-hmm. We're still a family." Mm-hmm. Well, that same day, I got a phone call from a friend. She was the mother of one of my uh, kids' friends, and she admitted that her husband had been abusive, and she finally worked up the courage to kick him out. And when he left, he emptied all their bank accounts took all of their kids' presents and turned off the utilities. Mm. So we, uh, and she she said I was the only person she was confiding in, uh, but everybody would know pretty soon because he had done a lot of damage to the outside of the house when he left. Mm-hmm. And she was confiding in me because she knew I was in such dire straits that I wouldn't feel like I had to do anything. So we had a sudden family meeting in my house, and we took about a third of our presents that were wrapped for Christmas and wrote her kids' names on them. Mm-hmm. And that uh you know packed up some groceries and some cookies and that midnight on christmas eve my husband and i drove up and we shut the car off as we glided into her driveway and we loaded her front porch with presents and food and cookies and then we rang the doorbell and ran back in the car and got out of there uh-huh. and that that lifted our spirits more than anything possibly could have uh-huh. and it didn't mean that anything necessarily got better for us, but it gave us this kind of exuberance that we that carried with us. It was um, it was probably our best Christmas ever. Wow, that's a wonderful story. Thank you. And it reminds me, we were doing um, poverty last month, and our church was um, dedicated to poverty. So, our priest gave these talks, and the very last talk was about Vincent de Paul. And St. Vincent de Paul said that he never wanted to meet anybody who was poorer than he was. And he would, if he saw somebody without shoes, he would take his shoes off and give them to them. And these these people were radiantly happy mm-hmm. because they had dedicated their lives to helping the poor because they believed that this was their way of um, furthering the kingdom of God on earth. And it just doesn't help but make you feel better when you're truly immersed in something like that, does it? Absolutely. I don't I don't think that there's any point where we cannot still still give to another and um w- one of the things that I remember from reading Holocaust literature from people who had survived they talked about uh how desperate everyone was of course for food and for sleep and for health in these concentration camps and um it, I think it was Viktor Frankl who gave examples of people who still shared the little bit of bread they had or still prayed with each other, mm-hmm. those people were much more likely to live than those who were desperately scrambling to, to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's and how we are as humans. We're, we're, we're built that way. We are built that way. And our children, teaching our children that giving is um, more what gratifying and, and um, than, than receiving. And sometimes children, you know, people think, oh, no, children, you know, can't grasp that. And I think they can. Yes, uh, I think they can, too. And I don't know if it's something we can require of them, because then it becomes 
um, an obligation and not not from their hearts. But we can certainly provide that sort of example well, or do it together. Well, and receiving. I think how we receive gifts from people is very telling. Oh, yeah. You know, because um, if you give somebody, if you take somebody flowers when you go and um, see them at their house and they say, oh, you know, I wish you'd bought me a plant because I put flowers in water and after a few days they're dead. Is that going to make you want to take that person <laughs> flowers again? Is it going to make you hesitate the next time you buy anything for that person? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you can you can show your children just how much joy whatever they have made for you, uh, just how much joy that has given you. Like you, like with the the puppy that your son brought home, and how that lifted you up in ways that neither one of you probably had planned. But it right, did. yes, yes, yes. 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 I I um I work as a book editor, and I am blessed to be able to do that at home, mm-hmm. and it's um. It's it's not the highest paying thing, but it is it is a way of, I can contribute and yeah. be part of that larger world. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I do get to do that. You get to do that, but you've al- you've always done that because I that was in your bio the last time that we spoke. So you've done that for a while. Yeah, I I um my college degree is is in social work, and I found something that pays less than that. Is all oh, right. It's my accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you sell any of your writing? I uh, I just have the two books. Mm-hmm. Um, I do write for some small publications, but um, you know that is that's just a little extra on the grocery money. And you write for fun. I write for fun. Can you give us some insight as to why we do that? Why we do anything for fun? Or... Why we do anything for fun? But why we <laughs> particularly write? I mean, writing for me is my go-to activity. I, I could do it all day long. I think that I am convinced that we all have these uh, these particular passions. And, you know, it sounds like you and I have very similar ones. But I I love to watch the way that when people really let themselves be steered in the direction of what really makes them feel alive, how much more alive they do feel. And for us, it's writing, but for, you know, for so many people, it, they're, you know, it might be baking strange cookies or, you know, welding sculptures or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I just, I think, I think that that's one of the, the gifts that homeschooling allows us to have is we have our kids, our families have more time to just let those, let those passions unfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I I feel blessed that I can if I want to sit and write for hours on end because it's just time flies by to start with. You know, I don't feel as though I'm sitting there for hours on end, but it's just finding those words, just the right word or just the right turn of phrase that I enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So tell us about your books then. Um, well, you very sweetly mentioned the free range learning book, mm-hmm. and that is... Um, a very large, I think it's 300 page large format mm-hmm. book, and it talks about what natural learning is and how we can encourage that. And it has the second half of the book is all resources and ideas and activities that are very open ended in every subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good news about that is um, it looks like the rights to that are being bought in India, so oh, it's it's going to move around, mm-hmm. which is good. And my second book. Um, Someone was kind enough to publish a collection of my poems, and that is called Tending. And it's, uh, as I I told you before, I just write poetry when I'm procrastinating doing things I'm supposed to be doing. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously I've procrastinated a lot. All right. Well, that's that's fantastic. And you can get those books on Amazon. They're available at Amazon? Yes, they are. And they're they're, um, traditionally published books. Right. Okay, because there are a lot of books out there that people publish through Amazon or online or ebooks. Yeah, the distinction is blurring these days, isn't it? It is. It is. Do you have a Kindle? Uh, I personally don't own a Kindle. Both of my books are available for Kindle, but <laughs> I don't know how that looks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like personally a book, and I 
still don't have a Kindle, and uh, but I do see I do see that um, there is a benefit because I belong to a reading and a critique group, and when they bring along their Kindles with their books that we've just read on it, I can say something about, well, so-and-so used this word, it was gone with the wind, and she had used the word pusillanimous, and she had used it a couple of times, but talking about the same person. That's why she got away with using mm-hmm. such an extraordinary word two or three times. And she was able to, this friend of mine was able just to type in the word, and it went straight to the places where it had been used. So, I mean, that was useful. Well, my kids are are very fond of reading stuff um, on the screen. They, you know, they they uh, they, they still read books, but mm-hmm. most of them are on devices. And I I think that you and I may cling to our books, but at least people are still reading books in whatever format. Well, yes, and when I write, though, I write on my screen, so I have to read and I edit on my screen. I don't do the longhand anymore. Do you? No, not not very often at all. No. So we are slowly training ourselves to the on-screen reading and editing process. So we're getting there without even knowing it. Well, there's still something about even when you're editing, uh, if you ever have uh, a passage you're not sure of, print it out because you see it in an entirely different way. Mm -hmm. I know. And I never go anywhere without my pad and my pencil because I'm constantly as I'm writing I think of something I quickly write it down out to the side and you know so yes that's not going to go away that that I think that's pretty much how I wrote free range learning is little like stoplight inspirations Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. waiting for my kids to come out of something and Mm -hmm. I'd get a couple paragraphs written yep that's right that's right well Laura, it's time for us to um, close up. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been chatting to Laura Grace Weldon, author of Free Range Learning, How Homeschooling Changes Everything, and a book of poetry called Tending. Um, I've linked her website um, to The Sociable Homeschooler, my site, and on my Tokenet radio page. And I encourage you to learn more about her lifestyle from both her websites and blogs, where you can also find the links to buy her books. We talked about challenges in the homeschool when plain sailing isn't part of the equation anymore. And um, she and her husband have homeschooled their four children while raising plants and animals. And she says occasionally cane in their simple partnership with the natural world. Um, This afternoon, I hope you've come away with a sense of what really matters in Laura's life, um, that her children and family and her mindfulness and discovered a few insights about how to trust in God and your relationships with one another when things don't always go as expected. Expected. Laura, once again, thank you so much for being with me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you have a great weekend. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. As you heard, Laura is an extraordinary woman. In her own words, she says she's probably an author because she's contrary still out to 
disprove an English professor's scathing denunciation of her writing as curious verbiage. She admits to procrastinating, and that's how she writes so much poetry. The two of us have much in common, and I'll read you one of her poems later if I have time. Laura enjoys being flexible, although she has deadlines to meet as a copy editor. She often wanders from the computer to preach hope, snort with laughter, cook subversively. You need to go find out what that means. Observe chicken behavior. Discuss life's deeper meaning with her tolerant family members. Sing to the bees. Hide in books. Concoct tinctures. Watch foreign films. And make messy art. Her website covers all of these aspects of her life. And you'll spend hours reading her articles and poring over her poetry. So make it a family project. And I can't resist. Here's a poem dedicated to her children. Out of her lap and into the world. It's called Design Revealed. Heart leaping faster than my limbs, I answered each cry, rocking tiny ones till lashes closed into worlds past me. I nodded at mantras chanted by women my mother's age. Enjoy them while they're young, this time goes too fast, though so weary my skeleton ached for rest. Motherhood's origami folded and creased me in unfathomable patterns, as together we composed songs for the Milky Way on late-night walks, blessed insects we set free from window-bound prisons, danced through days far from time's imagination. Mantras come true. Those little ones now lean over me, pausing gently before hurrying toward worlds beyond Last night I dreamed of fallen fruit, ripe unto bursting. I offered this bounty to children, but in house after house they had been fed. Waking, I see design revealed. I feel the beauty of greater unfolding. From her poetry book, Tending. Laura and I also talked about giving. How important it is to let our children see the joy we feel when given a gift. I don't know about you, but we had a year, one only, when our children groaned at every gift we bought them. It was very disappointing for all of us, and we had a little gathering afterwards and explained how we felt. From then on, they showed appreciation. Initially, a gift received may not be the one thing we really hoped for, but I found that I and my children grow to appreciate what may have been a dull or unexciting present. For example, I bought my son a tea strainer similar to the one my father used every time he poured tea. It was a small gift, not very significant, and totally eclipsed by a gold cross we bought to replace one he had lost for years. He went straight to his bedroom, retrieved the gold chain he'd always used for the lost cross, and hung his new one on it, his pleasure unmistakable. And the little tea strainer was forgotten. Not now, though. He's told us countless times that he uses it every day, probably twice a day even. It has become precious, too, and reminds him of his grandfather and his parents every time he takes it out to use. When we're gracious receivers, we will be blessed with gifts. Too many to list here. And I have another story about my grandfather. My granddad... Joseph Valentine had been in an industrial accident at the factory where he worked and lost his eye when a piece of metal flew into it. The many questions I had about its properties went unasked, in my terror that he would offer to demonstrate its secrets and even hand it to me to hold. I felt as though I was living in my own private horror story. Whenever I stayed, I'd shiver in anticipation of catching sight of his gaping socket when he removed it at bedtime. I'd close my eyes and summon all my courage to steal a look at his face between my lashes, but all I ever saw was an eyelid. If it was bothering him, he'd wear a patch, and then his glass eye remained at home all day while he was at work, inviting my scrutiny. I was irresistibly drawn to his false eye. My stomach would tie itself in knots of glorious anticipation as I stepped into the bathroom and cracked the mirrored cabinet door open to look at the brilliant blue and white orb submerged in a glass of water, staring unblinkingly at me through the water. And that's the end of my show for this week. Time really does go fast. This weekend, I'm baking for my aspiring, self-sustaining son and daughter-in-law's fundraiser. 
I'm making my decadently chocolate gooey brownies. They're raising money to help fund their birds facility and it's taking place at a climbing gym. They both climb and I know I'll be extremely involved. Thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, and the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Casey, my returning guest this week, Laura Weldon, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. Go forth in peace, for you have followed the good road. Go forth without fear, for he who created you has sanctified you, has always protected you, and loves you as a mother. Blessed be God for having created us. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.